Thank you for being here at Peace Talks. Uh, my name's Brooke Prentice. I'm an Aboriginal Christian leader, a descendant of the Waka Waka peoples. Uh, and for this particular event, I'm the director of Peace Talks. Uh, and so I'm going to bring an acknowledgement of country uh, for us to begin this evening. Uh, if you've been to multiple Peace Talks, um, or if you know me personally, every time I do an acknowledgement of country, uh, I try to make it a little bit different. Uh, and this one is particularly different if you've uh, heard me say it before, although it's heard me deliver an acknowledgement of country. And so go back um, to our website, uh, which is just paddington.church um, and slash peace talks. And all the recordings of all of our peace talks over the year have been there. And I think they include the acknowledgement of country. So if you want to see why this one might be a bit different, um, please go back and listen to those uh, incredible talks that we've had throughout uh, 2019. So let me bring this acknowledgement of country. Together tonight, we acknowledge the Gadigal peoples, one of 29 clans of the Eora Nation, one of over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands now called Australia. The Gadigal peoples have been and continue to be the original custodians and in a Western context, the original owners of these lands and waters that they received instruction from the Creator, passed from one generation to the next in how to live in right relationship with all of creation. The Gadigal peoples and the Aboriginal peoples of over 300 nations have never ceded sovereignty. We acknowledge that we meet on stolen land Lord God has seen all. We acknowledge the sins of theft, murder, ignorance, exclusion, power and greed. The breaking of right relationship. Lord God, and for all peoples in these lands now called Australia, we challenge each other. We challenge all peoples in these lands now called Australia to learn the truth and to tell the truth. We know the truth will set us all free. We ask that we can work together towards reconciliation with repentance and recognition with dignity. An over 200 year wait. We know that Australia is a land that is not at peace. Peace can only come with truth, with justice, and both of those need love, a love that is an action, and there are many other actions that need to take place. And so, in this place, on these lands, for some of us under the authority of Lord God, but for each of us to keep each other accountable as humanity, we acknowledge all. So, welcome to Peace Talks. This is our second last Peace Talks for 2019. Um, Peace Talks, uh, if this is your first time, uh, is a monthly talk held on a Thursday or Saturday uh, where we try and engage people in peace, and peace in this instance being political, ethical, artistic and cultural engagement. Um, so I think I've already said, but tonight is our second last Peace Talks for 2019. And so I hope you can join us again for our next uh, Peace Talks, our final one uh, for 2019, um, which is at the end of this month on Saturday the 30th of November, um, same time, 7pm, uh, where we'll be joined by Reverend Catherine Ranger on the topic uh, from Bethlehem with Love, 
Advent Reflections in Conversation with Palestinian Christian Theology. Um, and at the end of tonight, I'm going to publish the Facebook event uh, for the 30th of November. So I'd love you to click going um, or interested if you really have to <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, before we leave tonight. And please share that uh, with your friends. So tonight, uh, we've come together on the topic of the ins and outs of the body of Christ, listening to the voices the church needs to hear. I guess what we want to try and model tonight uh, is our own actions uh, of learning, of conversation, of listening, um, of respect, of love, of community. Uh, And so that's what I hope um, to get out of the panel tonight uh, and also with all of you who've gathered with us. So I'm going to introduce uh, each person who's sitting up here with me uh, through the relationship that I have with each one of them. Uh, And then they're going to share a bit about themselves as well. Uh, But let me start with Dr. Shane Clifton. So for me, uh, Dr. Shane Clifton was the very uh, first uh, theologian uh, who actually invited me uh, to speak and present at a theological college. Um, I had asked a number of theological colleges to have me as an Aboriginal Christian leader, including within my own denomination. So this was outside my own denominations. Uh, And um, I presented a three-hour lecture on Indigenous missiology. Uh, And uh, I'm very grateful um, for Dr. Shane uh, for uh, setting that up as a pathway for me um, to continue um, and for opening that door. Steph Fenton. Uh, So this year I moved uh, to Sydney uh, and uh, I had met Steph uh, before I moved to Sydney uh, through NATES. And NATES uh, is an Indigenous learning community. I'm on the board of NATES. Uh, It is a... We allow non-Indigenous people to come and study with us. um, And it's at the Masters and PhD level in theology. Uh, It took us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders... 15 years of active conversation for any theological college in Australia of any denomination to agree to partner with us, um, which finally happened in 2017. Um, And I personally met Steph when she was doing one of her master's subjects uh, with uh, learning with Aboriginal Christian leaders through the NATES program as part of Whitley College and the University of Divinity. Uh, But since being here in Sydney, um, I've got to know Steph uh, a lot more uh, and... Uh, been to Steph's events and she's been part of the Peace Talks um, team as well Uh, and I'm grateful um, for journeying together with Steph. Uh, And Jo, Joanne Shan, uh, Jo and I um, have journeyed together through Surrender. Uh, Surrender Conference, uh, the National Conference is in Melbourne, um, gathers about 2,000 Christians across Australia kind of uh, Jesus' call to the margins. Uh, and there's also a offshoot in Adelaide, uh, and Joe's part of the volunteer and sometimes paid team, but mainly volunteer team of <laughs> Surrender. Uh, and also, uh, Joe also came to study with us at Nates uh, and learn from Indigenous peoples at the master's level in theology. Uh, and... Um, Uh, Surrender, I say, is the only Christian conference in Australia that truly gives us an equal platform as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, Christians. And so um, I've been going every year since 2012 when I first found out about Surrender. Um, And so that's how I know Joe. 
Uh, so, I wonder if each of you could just say what I've missed about your story. Um, and uh, I guess the reason why you're sitting on this panel. So I'm sitting on here as an Aboriginal person uh, who has a few Aboriginal Christian leader. So Shane Clifton, uh, Professor of Theology and Ethics at Alpha Crucis College for two decades, uh, or I was. Um, I taught there until the end of 2018. Uh, this year has been sort of an in and out year, to use your language. It's been a difficult year in many ways. Um, I guess I'm here as, um, well, because Brooke and I know each other and have worked with each other in relation to Aboriginal issues. We once got to um, do a podcast, I think with Common Grace, where Brooke was representing First Nations peoples and I was representing peoples with disabilities. So they were sort of put the two marginalised groups together there on that uh, little discussion of the Beatitudes, I think it was, and uh, that was fun. Um, so, look, I guess I'm here in terms of inclusion and exclusion representing disability. Um, I've also had uh, a connection to LGBT inclusion uh, in the church, which is sort of one of my passions at the moment. I, um, I won't go somewhere um, where I'm not able to be upfront about LGBT inclusion. So, um, yeah. Sounds like a good segue into me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Steph. Uh, I have grown up in the Anglican Church. I was baptised and confirmed in the Anglican Church uh, outside of Sydney in uh, the Armidale Diocese. I grew up in Tamworth. Um, then I moved to Sydney and very shortly into moving to Sydney for uni, uh, I realised that I was gay. Um, and coming out as gay in the Sydney Anglican Diocese has been a journey. Um, I think we've got a pretty um, on-board audience, I can tell. Um, but I, I made a decision to stay in my church um, because I believe it can be better, um, because I love it, and uh, I think that, yeah, it can grow and transform. Nothing is beyond redemption. Uh, so, yeah, and then recently, uh, a group called Equal Voices formed in Australia, which believes in the equal, equally inspired, equally spirit-inspired voice of LGBTIQA plus Christians, uh, that we are equal members of our church and have something really wonderful to say to our community. Um, and in March last year, I think it was, uh, we started a branch in Sydney. Uh, there's a few people in this room who have been part of that. Um, and so I'm here also as the chair of Equal Voices Sydney tonight, and it's a really lovely network to be part of. I could segue from that saying I also grew up in the Anglican Church, um, but in Melbourne. So in Sri Lanka, my grandmother was um, in part, part of an Anglican mission and she passed that on to us and so that was a really interesting time like being brown and Anglican and um, it's, it's kind of been a weird journey for me trying to acknowledge what that means as well as acknowledge Indigenous sovereignty and understand what it means to be Australian and not feeling like I can claim that but also not really wanting to anymore after hearing some of the truth of that history in uni um, and also through the Nate's Indigenous Theology course. Um, so Surrender has been a, a really cool platform for me to talk about some of those 
com complexities, but also learn from Aboriginal Christian leaders and really find hope again in this, this good news through people who can see Jesus in, an, in a different way that's not as controlling or, um, uh, yeah, not as controlling as the, the Western church and the, that I had known prior to meeting people like Brooke and Uncle Ray Minikin and Auntie Patricia Courtenay. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here and, and to also learn from these amazing people sitting <laughs> next to me and around me. So thanks for having me, Sydney and Paddington. Before we get into questions, we did call this the ins and outs of the body of Christ. And so we wanted to together read uh, a passage of the Bible um, from 1 Corinthians uh, 12, uh, 12 to 31. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you who are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And so our first question tonight uh, for each of us to answer is, so I'll ask it, uh, how <laughs> do you define the body of Christ? What does that mean to you? And anyone can go first. Should the theologian no, go no, first? No, no, you start first. <laughs> That'd be too predictable. <laughs> um, I'm only partway into my studies, so uh, we haven't done body theology yet. Um, <laughs> 
But if I'm going to think about um, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, uh, I think there's something very deeply profound in being joined with Christ when you have faith in Christ. Um, so there's something really significant in um, joining with Christ in who we become when we have faith in Christ. So we take on the identity, the, the life, death, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, we become intermingled with uh, Jesus' identity as someone who uh, has faith uh, and belongs. And there's this profoundly spiritual link with Jesus that I think happens um, when you're in Christ, um, that you take on the identity of being a son, of being... Um, the inheritor of the kingdom of God. Um, and so to be part of the body of Christ, I think for me, uh, has something to do with that, of becoming part of Jesus in a deeply profound way um, and doing that, becoming a family um, with others. Mm. That's great. See who needs a theologian. <laughs> um, keep it with the students. Look, I've got a, uh, a background as a Pentecostal and um, I think I'd call myself maybe post-Pentecostal now but let's <laughs> at least do the background uh, which um, it's a grassroots movement and I like that understanding of the body of Christ we tend to think of church in institutional often hierarchical sense but my vision of the church really starts from the bottom up rather than the top down um, and so for me the body of Christ exists in its diversity um, in its welcome that sort of transcends those institutional um, sort of boundaries that uh, are more divisive than welcoming. Um, so for me, I mean, this passage, I, I like the diversity, the welcome of all of our differences. Um, I'd probably, this passage doesn't talk about the spirit. I think I'd bring the spirit into a discussion of the body of Christ because it's, um, you know, it's that which is sort of that, that free flow of the spirit that makes connections in surprising and strange and unusual places. and So for me, I think that's where I locate the body of Christ or the church now, um, largely often outside of the institution. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's when we were talking about this topic, I don't really use that, that language, I don't know, anymore or currently, and I think it's it's quite interesting to try and like use something that maybe I, I don't really feel comfortable with, even just in the sense of like the Bible at the moment for me is like a trigger word. Yeah, just it, the text itself was like the reason why I can't speak my native tongue and this weird thing of because I can access it and understand it and study it it's it like frustrates me so i actually and part of why i did the nate's theology course was because i wanted and i i wanted to see truth and and language outside of just that that book um and so i think i would just say it's when when you meet people and you can bring your full self to that group to that place and you don't have to yeah, you don't have to kind of leave half of your self at home and then, yeah, mediate. You're just bringing your full self. It's nice. Yeah.
Um, and I think for me, the body of Christ, I came to, uh, I became a Christian at the age of 21. And I think the way the body of Christ was articulated to me was as the local church congregation. And I think that is very limiting. And I think it's still how some people think about it. And it's so hard to get people out of their own congregation, out of the own four walls of their church building. Um, and the beauty is this diversity that looks like community. Uh, and uh, it means it, you can't have um, unity without diversity. Uh, and I think if you only look for that in the local congregation, uh, we're missing out on a whole bunch. Mm. Uh, and so, and then it's even, it's not just the local congregation, it's uh, then outside of your own denomination, your different brand of church, and then to come together um, outside of those denominations as well. And I get to speak in many churches of all different denominations around the country, and um, often I'll speak at multiple services. There might be an 8 a.m. service, a 10 a.m. service, and a 7 p.m. service, and those uh, same local church, but those individual time communities have never met each other. Um, they don't even have a meal together. Uh, and so I think they're the things I think about um, the challenges of what it means to truly be the body of Christ. Um, I did want to recognise uh, for all of us that, you know, we will share um, some of our own stories and that that um, comes at a cost uh, and the experiences um, that have built us um, to where we each are today, um, you know, it's often very costly. Uh, there's pain and there's joy and there's hope and that's uh, life. Um, but for often, I think probably the four of us, uh, we have many experiences um, that mean we feel those things more deeply. So I just acknowledge that for each of us um, as we continue. So, uh, what my next question was, is when have you experienced being in and out in the body of Christ? Maybe Steph might want to start. <laughs> um, oh. Or Joe, you want to start? Who wants to start? Go for it, Joe. Yeah. Um, so, this, the weird, like, colonisation story of Sri Lanka means that we, like... I was talking about this is it's kind of like a slow decay of your identity until you don't actually know what you're even identifying anymore when you say that that's where you're from and it's like a and because of the church being so clearly connected to that yeah responsible for that whole process it's like when I was people were asking me where I was from when I was in a Christian space it was like a I was being offended I'm yeah, I'm offended because I don't actually know what to answer and it's like your fault that I don't know and then you feel uncomfortable because I don't know what to answer and it was like I wanted to be in because I saw myself as in and didn't see, though I didn't see anyone who, reflect, who, reflect, who looked like me within. Um, so... I don't know, it's kind of, I was in and out in the same time and in different contexts, different people asking you, you don't, yeah, I didn't really know, yeah, that, that, that image of myself was really unclear, to didn't even know at what state I was considered equal or above or below or, yeah, just that really confused image of, of, um, of the white Christian and not feeling like 
I was different until someone else noticed and told me. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Joe, you also sit here on the panel as a younger person, yes. someone who's under the age of 25. Just. Um, <laughs> Just. Yeah, <laughs> I think some of us might wish we were a bit closer to that, <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. Um, so yeah. yeah, just if there's anything else you want to share about that side of inclusion and exclusion in and out as well, feel free to yeah. do that too. Yeah, um, I I think my story is in out in two ways and then <laughs> back in. I said beforehand, I'm going to save that joke till later. Someone else gave it to me, so I can't claim full credit. Um, but I think I was, I was in, uh, the, in the body of Christ, uh, in the church when I was younger. So I've grown up, baptised, confirmed. Uh, my dad's an Anglican minister, so very much like fitted in in my community. Uh, I'm very outgoing and extroverted, play the guitar. That always helps. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, led services from time to time, uh, kind of just naturally fell into it, was quite passionate about uh, sharing my faith uh, as evangelical, so very much mission-focused, evangelism-minded, and I'm, as an extrovert, you know, that just came very naturally. Uh, and so, I w yeah, I was really in, in my community, um, and very deeply involved. It was my life, like the, the most passionate thing that I felt that I was part of was um, being in this community. Um, and then I was very deeply out in almost a moment. Uh, in almost a moment, everything about that changed. Um, so I came out and it was, your gifts are no longer gifts here. Your gifts are actually a way that will lead people away from Christ. It was like flipped in a moment. Um, and yeah, I was also out in a way um, that was very deeply painful. Um, in, I had a conversation with a minister and he said, you can no longer take communion here um, if you're gonna continue your relationship. I uh, had that with my sister. I was so thankful that she was there. Um, and we were just shocked. It's like, you know, that sacrament means, as I said, you are joined to Christ. Um, you acknowledge that you share in the body and blood of Christ here, that you acknowledge your faith and your trust, that Jesus is the centre. Uh, and to say that you no longer can take part in this um, so that you will be recognised as no longer part of this community and to be publicly shown um, to be out of communion, uh, I was very much out at that stage um, and very much out as well. <laughs> um, but then uh, through some kind of working through finding community, uh, I have found a way back in and a way back in that is so much deeper um, that I understand the gospel and God's grace for me in, in such a more deeper level and the justice and the righteousness that the gospel brings and the life that Jesus gives, um, the generosity of that. I understand that so much more now um, and it's so much greater than I ever knew before when I was in and then out and then now I'm back in and... Um, I was never out. That's the thing I realised. Um, I've always been in with Jesus. Yeah, that's lovely.
Yeah, look, I think the universal story for everyone here and everyone in the building is we're all in and out. Um, and it's, it's always an up and down experience. And I've experienced all of the ins and outs. Um, so let me start by saying I attend a, um, a little independent um, post-Pentecostal inclusive church that I love and I feel in there and it's you know been going there for quite a few years now and it's delightful to be just with a community that um, you just enjoy going to that's what being in is like isn't it where you can just enjoy being with uh, with your friends I need to recognize that although I'm here with a disability I'm a white western educated male um, and so I've had access to lots of privilege um, I've been you know, a theology lecturer, right at the sort of, you know, um, which gives you a lot of, I was going to say a lot of say, not in a Pentecostal church actually, being a theology <laughs> lecturer is really marginalising, <laughs> actually, unless you run a big church in Pentecostalism, your voice is unimportant. But at least it gave me a say to some of the students here, like Jess and others who are here tonight. So I've been academic dean, so I've been at the centre of institutions. Um, I've had a spinal cord injury at 2010. And that experience of disability was both a bit of an in and out. Um, on the one hand, people were really beautiful and loving to me. The church was wonderful. It got around me. The college got around me. Um, I didn't feel at all excluded. Um, having a disability, though, is complex, especially in Pentecostalism and in churches. The first, uh, I got home after the injury, went down to my local um, church, just wheeled the way down there, and it was a little Baptist congregation got to the um, entrance and there was a gate, I couldn't get in, I waited for someone who got in, went in the back door and of course there was steps into the building and couldn't get in, so just went home that night. I haven't had too much of that, but uh, I have a friend Athena here who, tonight who can't get bathrooms in this building, so it's, uh, it's a fairly sort of common experience, that access experience. People with disabilities are pretty good at sort of fighting through that. Um, so, so disability can be a sort of a, an out and an in experience as well. And I think um, it's more so I work for the Disability Royal Commission at the moment. So I'm really seeing the sort of, you know, the, the, the brunt end of the out for, you know, the, um, that sort of intersectionality of power that if you're disabled, um, First Nations, woman, young, um, you can be especially vulnerable. Um, I uh, have been friends with um, LGBT people for a long time. I met Anthony Van Brown in 2005. Some of you might know Anthony. I was teaching ethics at the time and um, encountering Anthony was really challenging to me. Um, and uh, I, so I changed my opinion of LGBT inclusion sort of mid-2000s and negotiated that okay within the college. I was pretty honest with that through most, most internally. People who knew me would have known. Um, it wasn't something I could publicly talk about because, of course, we're not allowed to be honest with these things. You do so and the college will fall apart. You won't get any students, you know. So if we wanted to have a job, we had to be careful the way we navigated that. Um, in 2017, as the um, same-sex marriage debate came uh, public, churches seemed to harden their opinions and uh, my college appointed a conservative dean and um, from the moment he started uh, I was pretty well hounded um, 
and in the start of 2018 I was banned from teaching at a college that I'd been academic dean at and uh, had worked and lived at for two decades and then I fought that, I thought he'd overstepped, I thought he'd overplayed his hand that I was so far in that um, he'd bitten off more than he could chew but turns out that he hadn't and so I finished um, up at Alpha Crucis after being there for 23 years at the end of 2018 and that was extremely sort of traumatic as you can imagine that this year has been a difficult year sort of trying to find my feet um, but again I find myself through grassroots connections finding beautiful people who welcome me um, and even in unexpected places I was just telling someone I was at YWAM last week and you'll think of YWAM as this extremely conservative place and I met this beautiful inclusive welcome welcoming young people so to be human and um, and to pursue the hard road of truth is going to take you in and out all over the place and I have actually found the places that I, you get out of um, which hurts the most turns out to be bloody freeing, doesn't it? Thank <laughs> God um, I no longer work in a Christian institution. I just want to say that I'm happily out. So there you go. <laughs> the next question, and um, I'll give an answer to both of these uh, before um, the others join in to answer this question. Um, as a comparison, um, when have you experienced being in and out in Australian society? Uh, and so I guess as I bring those two into conversation uh, for myself uh, as an Aboriginal person, um, I, in terms of experiencing racism, um, I think the thing that surprises me about the church uh, and through my faith journey is that I have experienced more racism within the church um, than outside in Australian society. So the quantity has been more in the church. Uh, and I think um, just how much deeper that hurts um, uh, when I feel that my faith is uh, that I am loved and I am called to love others. Uh, and so to experience that hurt and that pain and to even raise that through church leadership and channels and for it to be dismissed um, or just that's the way it is uh, or not dealt with at all, which is the three different ways that it has been managed, if I have had the courage to report it. Uh, and then, but in society what has happened, so whilst there's been less experiences of racism, uh, they're often more uh, very upfront, extremely racist. So the racism in the church can often be more subtle, uh, framed as a question that actually has a motive behind it, or you know, people uh, push it off as just ignorance. Um, but I then go, well, why is the church so ignorant compared to Australian society um, when the church is part of Australian society? Uh, so they're the things I'm constantly... Um, uh, reckoning with and also uh, just how you know the things that people don't say as well um, and then you hear through other people or uh, might not immediately acknowledge that uh, or realize that I'm Aboriginal and especially if I'm not wearing one of my Aboriginal t-shirts or my emu feather earrings or my bracelet with my Aboriginal colors uh, then you often hear people's true uh, thoughts and hearts uh, and that's even more confronting um, and so uh, 
you know, uh, I actually, in 2012, went to a theological college, um, was interested in pursuing theological education, uh, met a deputy principal at the uh, information session um, who didn't realise I was Aboriginal, and I said, oh, um, uh, I'm really passionate about uh, Aboriginal Christian leadership development. Do you have any Aboriginal students? Because for me, that was an important question. Is this going to be a good place for me? Um, to which uh, his response was, uh, no, studying doesn't fit with their culture. We can't keep them seated at a desk and they go walk about. Um, and so I was put off theological education for a long time. Um, so Shane was a big part of my healing uh, in that. And just how those things can Terrible. affect a person, how much courage it takes. And then in society, uh, I'm a chartered accountant by profession uh, and was in a very senior uh, finance position uh, and I had someone say to me, who was also in a very senior position uh, in this massive organisation, say, um, oh, I'm surprised you're an accountant, Brooke. And I said, oh, why is that? Oh, well, Aboriginal people aren't good at maths. Uh, and so these are some of the intricacies, but what that means. So, I mean, I was very established in my career, so you're like, how do we ever change this? And now I'm fighting hard to see other Aboriginal people realise that maths uh, is important and that they can be accountants and, uh, you know, still realising I'm only one of 22 Indigenous chartered accountants in all of Australia. Um, and I just found out recently I was the very first Aboriginal person from the University of Queensland um, to graduate with a Bachelor of Commerce and Bachelor of Arts um, in 2001 was when I graduated. Um, so sometimes you don't realise how you're paving a way, but I still get uh, confused, even if it's with Nates, that it took us 15 years um, uh, and now we're the first cohort uh, that we only have five Aboriginal Christian leaders with a PhD or Masters in Theology of all denominations in the history uh, of colonial Australia uh, is, you know, you see the barriers and where you're out and how hard you have to fight to be in. Mm. So, as a comparison, ins and outs in Australian society, any comments, stories, thoughts? I had this, um, like, really telling experience at after a surrender conference last year um, with the director of Surrender, Charlene, um, from the Philippines. And we were driving after a beautiful conference, having learnt and being ministered to by Aboriginal Christian leaders for um, like a majority of that day. Um, and we're just driving home, like being like, oh, I love Surrender. Oh, just Australia's just moving forward. This is so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just reflecting on that. And then we're like, okay, we've got to pee. Like, let's pull over. And then we accidentally went in like the out of a side street to get to the, the restrooms. And this, uh, oh, to use Byron's term, no, I won't use that. <laughs> <laughs> now this older white man sort of like not like was like saying something. And so we rolled the window down and Charlene started saying like, oh, look, sorry, I just didn't see the, the sign. Like I'm just going to the toilet and he was racially um, abusing her for not, you know, you got to learn English and something around going back to where she came from or something. And it was just this quick flashback to, like, whilst I do complain about the church for being so 
behind in terms of what the history that we tell the next generations um, and it was just like a yeah there's there's it's a pocket of it's a pocket of the church but it's also a pocket of society who are completely nowhere near as inclusive as as Jesus asks us to be as the church but also yeah just the complete opposite of what that whole weekend was and it was really stark like the same day yeah and just um uh, if you haven't been to Surrender before, so we've talked about Aboriginal Christian leaders. There's 2,000 people. There's probably 100 Aboriginal Christian leaders who are part of that mm. 2,000. Uh, and so I often say it's where I actually see the kingdom of heaven mm. here on earth because you mm. see diversity, mm. um, cultural diversity, gender diversity, um, uh, age diversity. Uh, and that's, you know, so this story in relation to where Joe and Charlene mm. had came from um, deeply hurt many of us as Aboriginal peoples uh, who learnt the story as well but um, because we all put ourselves in that situation to go oh hang on we've just had this beautiful experience and then confronted yep. with the reality of each of our lives. Yep. I've only surrendered once mm. but one of my <laughs> most that that one experience they did this amazing welcome to country which went for about two hours and it, I mean it, I can't describe it it was so fantastic so a uh, great experience. I'm re I feel really blessed, actually, because I knew, like probably most of you, nothing about disability until it slapped me in the face. And I suddenly discovered this amazing group of diverse, powerful people who changed the world in which we live. Um, yeah, so I feel really blessed to have learnt about the disability rights movement, um, you know, to see the sort of changes, you know, th this is the history of people in wheelchairs and canes and all sorts of things who tied themselves to buses and said, you've got to let us get on these things and stood in front of trains and um, sort of forced through legislation and, um, and have been transforming the world um, and a lot has changed. So I've benefited a lot in Australian society from the sort of transformations um, that that they've um, enabled me to benefit from and so I really just feel um, privileged to be able to do some work with the Commission and other places to be able to continue because there's a lot of change that's still needed. People with disabilities are um, amongst the most marginalised um, and people still in Australian society subject to violence abuse and um, so especially people with intellectual disability um, so still kept in institutions and mm. hmm. um, I think I'd probably have a similar answer I think that I've benefited from uh, the human rights movement of uh, a group of people uh, part of the queer community so in my lifetime uh, homosexuality was illegal you could go to prison for it uh, up until 1997 in Tasmania and then uh, 20 years later we um, 20 years later, is that right, 2017? We have uh, marriage equality, um, which is amazing. Uh, I still think that um, whether I feel in and out in Australian society probably depends on where I am. I feel very safe holding my girlfriend's hand when I'm in uh, Newtown or Redfern or the anywhere in the inner west of Sydney. Um, if I uh, go a little further into the country, um, I'll probably 
think about that. Uh, I also uh, am a little bit androgynous in the way that I dress, um, so I, I'll notice that depending on where I am and are people looking at me. Uh, that's, uh, that's my experience. Uh, then I think about uh, my transgender friends who um, are going to probably confront people in their norms even more. Uh, and I think about the stories that I've heard of um, things that have been said to them when you drive an hour up the road, um, horribly abusive and you know highly sexualized comments. Um, you know, that's still every day, uh, I think, for a lot of people um, outside of this lovely, wonderful inner west of Sydney. Uh, I, I still think we have a, a long way to go um, in achieving um, safety for uh, a lot of the queer community. Uh, I think of young people in schools. Um, I'm, yeah, I worry for them. Um, yeah, but, and I think of, as well, uh, there are particular issues uh, for intersex people. There is no reason to surgically uh, operate on a child who has ambiguous genitalia at birth, apart from just the fact that it doesn't look like one or the other. Uh, there's no medical reason to do that, uh, and we still, we still do that. Um, yeah, uh, so there's still a lot of support, still a lot of uh, movement that needs to happen, but I'm so thankful uh, and it's always a really meaningful moment at the Mardi Gras when the 78ers float comes out. Um, and it actually is just so beautiful. And I think, thank you so much for everything that you've done so that I can live the life that I live um, now. And I hope that I can be part of uh, passing that on to the next generation. Next generation of young Christians who come out. Mm. Amen. Um, and I think maybe just to reflect, uh, to lead on from Steph's story. Um, when the marriage equality uh, was passed, uh, an image that's burned into my mind is when Senator Pat Dodson, an Aboriginal man, embraced Senator Penny Wong. Uh, and, you know, Senator Penny Wong was crying um, in joy, uh, but I think there were so many of us as Aboriginal people wondering, when does our moment come um, where the nation will embrace us? Um, and uh, I'm sure Senator Penny Wong is a very good uh, friend of Senator Pat Dodson's and um, uh, will uh, follow his journey as well. Uh, and we remember him uh, in his present day, but he's also acknowledged as the father or the grandfather of reconciliation, and we're still a nation um, without reconciliation or conciliation. We, what question um, next? We always take longer than we think, don't we? Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Maybe I'll go with the quotes one and we can talk about it. So when we were coming up with the theme for tonight, we used the ins and outs. Uh, and we tried to avoid the words like diversity, inclusion, equality uh, for a reason. Whether in and out is better or not, uh, I'm not sure. I guess I was hoping maybe it's a conversation starter. But I guess each of those terms, diversity, inclusion, equality, um, can be interesting terms. So there's been two quotes kind of doing the social media rounds in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, one of which is, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Equality is being on the party planning committee. Then one of the other ones is, diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice and belonging is having that voice heard. Uh, so, 
I just wondered if the panel had any thoughts about those quotes in particular or the terms diversity, inclusion, equality. I'm going to let others start. I've been enjoying having almost nothing to do with Facebook the last year. <laughs> and <laughs> my gosh, it's enjoyable. I recommend it. <laughs> That's not an answer. <laughs> um, I, when I think about equality, inclusion, diversity, uh, I've been studying the doctrine of the Trinity this semester, uh, and I think those are all words that describe the God that we worship, um, that our God is uh, different, different people um, in community of equals, fully included. Um, Sounds like heresy to me. <laughs> <laughs> Three. Three gods. <laughs> Three in one. <laughs> um, I'll avoid making any comment about Israel Folau at this stage. Um, uh, but I think that um, I think there's so much to say about you know that that framework of you know what does it mean to be involved in in whatever in, in this system that. Uh, that's set up in our world that already exists, that operates in a way that has hierarchy, that you know, you, you come to the table and you get to speak. Um, but uh, you know, what do you do you change things? Is there real change involved there? Uh, is there really transformative, radical change where you are counted equal, where I, as much as I care for myself, care for you, and I look to you, and, and we're here together, and I deeply honour you, and I deeply love you, and I want to do this together. You know, that's, that's the model that we see in, in the God, is that we, we participate together in what we do, and I love your work, and I want to be part of that, and I want to uplift you and honour you for, for all that you are, you know? Um, so I just w I'll start with that. There's, I think there's a lot more that could be said. Um, maybe I'll go next, uh, because the first one, diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance, and equality is being on the party planning committee. I saw this one and got quite frustrated, and it was shared by a white male Christian leader who was a significant voice in this country in terms of the Christian church, and all of these um, mainly non-Indigenous, white, uh, Christian, uh, able-bodied people were all going, oh, this is such a great quote, oh, this is awesome, oh, I love this quote. I'm like, hang on, <laughs> um, do you actually know what this means? Um, because you're the ones that have the power to uh, do the inviting us to the party, asking us to dance, um, and it's still inviting us to be part of the party planning committee. And then I bravely decided maybe I should write something and went, oh, no. And then people were like, why do you have a problem with this? And I'm like, well, hang on. How about you just have a proper conversation with me? Uh, and so my problem is that, you know, I have been invited to the party. I have been asked to dance. And I've been part of the party planning committee. But it still hasn't given me equality or equity. Or um, it might have given me a voice. But has my voice been heard? Uh, then not only heard but listened to, and then not only listened to, but uh, what I've been asking for and acted. And I think where it lands with the, uh, being part of the party planning committee, uh, when I have been part of the church planning committees, whether that's a big church um, camp uh, or a uh, church leadership team, uh, when it comes to fighting for inclusion and equality, 
uh, often I'm a lone voice. Uh, and so even though there'll be uh, allies, and we might get to that um, question about how do we each feel about allies, or people who think that they're allies and deep friends, especially with Aboriginal peoples in my case, uh, they've stayed silent. Uh, and, I, and then afterwards come and talk to me and go, on, oh, you know, that was really wrong. That wasn't right. I'm like, well, why didn't you speak up for me? And then when you have been part of the party planning committee, you get to the event, uh, and then uh, what you decided as a committee isn't then enacted, and the level of exclusion that that then means and the hurt that comes with that, and then you're trying to fight for something that you thought was already agreed. Um, and I'm thinking about a particular instance, which was about that we would just do acknowledgement of country um, at a, an event. And it was all agreed, and then we get there, and it's not organised, um, and then I'm trying to fight going, we said we'd do acknowledgement of country. Oh, no, we're not, we can't do it today. I'm like, <laughs> you know. So uh, I think when these things are especially shared on Facebook, um, uh, and or you're speaking on behalf of someone else, you need to question, should you be speaking on behalf of someone else? Or how can you, when a person who has been excluded or is a token um, voice, how can you support them um, and not remain silent? Mm. And maybe, Joe, you want to share about the second yeah. one. Diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice. And belonging is having that voice heard. Yeah, so the... Being token is like very common for people of colour from like quite majority migrant communities and this feeling of having, like you're just there but you're not really shaping or forming or reforming anything, you're just like around. Um, and my uh, pastor, Greg Morris, who told me this quote first, he said he adds on to the, to the end of that quote, and dignity is when you have the, the power to actually break the table and go and sit on the ground and kind of changing the form of where that interaction takes place and that you actually, you, you know, yeah, you, you know your voice so clearly and can actually change that format. Um, and that's the power, yeah, that's the power I've seen um, in being ministered to by Aboriginal Christian leaders and reading things like Yata Wandata and Gondwana theology and just seeing this whole reframe of like the scripture or, or the way that you would do community um, and include people. It's, it's just so much broader than I thought. Um, so it's, it's, really mean, it's really meaningful to me. I, I really like that add-on um, mm. personally, yeah. And I think for me as well, I've had uh, many theologians from around the world um, uh, who are not white dominant culture who've taught me so much as well, uh, which has been very important. So I think of uh, C.B. Samuel, um, who's an incredible theologian uh, who Australia has brought out numerous times. If you've ever got a chance to learn from um, C.B. Samuel, um, uh, he's from India. Uh, check uh, his work out. Uh, and so, you know, there's so much that we can learn from each other, um, which is really kind of cool. Uh, we did give you the piece of paper and a pen, so if you have written a question that you would like asked, um, now's the time to give it to Byron. Um, and then as uh, you do that, I wanted us uh, to ask each other, what have we learnt from someone else here on the panel?
and I can maybe go first. Uh, so I uh, travelled with Shane to surrender uh, from the Melbourne airport to Belgrave Heights, which is usually like only an hour trip, mm. but it was significant traffic and I think it took us nearly two hours. And even though we were in um, like a, a maxi taxi that was suitable um, for wheelchair, just how uncomfortable that ride was for Shane. Um, I was quite stressed um, as to the level of discomfort uh, and realising how much pain Shane is in all the time um, and what it takes to uh, come to a gathering um, like that uh, was um, something that's impacted me deeply. Uh, and then also I think being uh, a friend of Steph's, I think I, in the church I thought I knew what exclusion was and then I saw a whole other level of exclusion um, and that's impacted me deeply. Uh, and uh, even um, sitting here at Paddington Anglican, um, Shane mentioned about not having disabled toilets. Uh, how many churches I've been to have never even thought about it. Uh, mm. How often you don't see people with disabilities sitting in our churches um, or people, as I like to reframe it, of all varying abilities. Uh, and so, you know, at least we have a, and it's not a good thing, we have a, a ramp uh, and we've raised it with the parish council about how we can look at it, getting a disabled toilet. And you can get portable disabled toilets if you're ever running an event. Um, unfortunately, our ground is not suitable. And so to start to think about these things, um, you know, mm. is really good. We even looked around the local area to see whether there was a disabled toilet that can be accessed and, yeah. How do we open our eyes to see these things? And each of the panelists have helped me to open my eyes um, to another level as well. Mm. So I'm grateful for the learning and for the friendship. Indeed. Mm. And uh, I think I would say I'm so grateful to you, Brooke, um, and the Nates community. Um, it, was, it was a mix of emotions to come in as someone who's not Indigenous who is, you know, part of uh, a Christianity that privileges white people and white systems and to not even understand how much theology uh, and how much biblical interpretation uh, I, I have associated with that. Uh, and then to be welcomed so hospitably and to be welcomed into that space so generously uh, when I don't deserve that, I was just like, this is so powerfully transformative. This is so gracious and so generous. And the fact that you continue to extend your hand to people, um, I am so challenged and blessed by that so often. So I just wanted to say that um, about you, Brooke. Yep. Inspire me. I'm just going to say ditto. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> like, that's just it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ditto. Um, <laughs> st I mean, Steph... Go, shouldn't um, have gone first. <laughs> she, she says um, <laughs> that... And what, what, what Brooks is not telling you is I vomited apart from anything else the whole trip too. So oh, it no. was... Um, <laughs> it was yeah, memorable. I'll never forget that trip. Um, this week, this denomination of church, or these last couple of weeks, has said, please leave. And Steph and Joel and Thomas and a bunch of other people. Um, 
just respond to that in a way I, I just I don't have patience or capacity or grace to. So I guess I'm always stunned by the grace that does work through you to survive yeah. and not just survive, to thrive and remain yeah. happy and positive and full of faith in environments that have made it far too explicit that they don't want you. Yeah. Um, so I, um, yeah, I'm just amazed by you. Mm. And Joel, you're going to throw some questions at us, are you, Byron? Um, Joe, do you mm. want to, while I have a look at this, yeah. maybe talk about the different cultural communities in which you navigate through and where, I guess, different cultures have come together and then stayed separate as well? I guess one of yeah. the things I constantly think of is, you know, I often see, and in the Uniting Church talks about being a multicultural church, mm. but there's still a Tongan congregation and a Samoan congregation and a Korean mm. congregation, um, and often worshipping in Western styles mm. um, and yeah whether you have any comments yeah about and second gen as a term yeah. is something I often hear and yeah so being born in Melbourne or Nam, which is the Wurundjeri word for Melbourne but having your parents born in another country for me Sri Lanka sometimes we use the term second gen um, but it kind of can come across like like we have neither traditional culture or Western culture to claim as our own. And so a format to do church or another culture to, uh, to do it with is really, really um, like an interesting conversation. So Ignite has been a multicultural youth conference that we've been running to, to try and host as similarly to the kingdom as we can, a space for all. Um, and that's looked really beautiful. It's looked like speaking different languages, praying at the same time in, in all your languages. But then there's that second gen group who we actually don't speak our languages anymore and the church hasn't cared about it. Um, and so learning from Aboriginal peoples about how to reclaim what's actually been taken from you and do it with pride and, and sit in that learning journey um, with Christ as the one who wants that for you has been really powerful and hard. And um, I think non-Indigenous white people are in that journey with us too. Like you'll have your heritage, you'll have cultural tales going back to ancient times too. And yeah, we've got a lot to learn from each other. Um, Shane's going to uh, answer this mm. question and uh, he does live a long way away so he's going to take off. So I mean this is a question someone's posed to both Steph and I, they're sort of related questions. Um, if you could take away your disability would you, why why not? Or Steph if you could change your sexuality would you, why why not? Um, the fascinating question for disability um, and if you had have asked me that question four years ago um, I'd be able to give you an instant answer which is um, Yes, if I could get back in time, I would. Um, it's not disability, which I've found to be rich and beautiful, but spinal cord injury is its just a difficult life to lead. Um, so for, for reasons I don't have to go into now, it is complicated and, and difficult. Having said that, if you um, and so I do get asked this question, um, answering it now, um, I would have to pause before saying, well, I still would go back in time. Um, 
there's got to be other ways you can learn these lessons. And, and that is because I have um, encountered some amazing, beautiful, rich people, a rich community. Disability has really helped me think about what it means to be vulnerable, human, um, limited, dependent. So I've had to na navigate um, issues of dependency, which you sort of haven't thought about enough, I think, as a independent um, sort of, you know, um, man. And so, yeah, I mean, I, um, I've had to rethink what happiness means. And I, so I feel in many ways enriched by disability. Um, so I'd pause, go back in time, and then find some other way to learn those lessons. But, <laughs> but I, I do want to say that I don't want to awfulize. You know, disability is much better than you imagine it to be, and you can flourish and thrive. The assumption is that you have a disabled child, it's the end of the world, that you have a spinal cord injury, you'd be better off dead, and that's just nonsense. Um, you know, human life is about ups and downs and vulnerabilities, and so I can't go back in time. And in some sense, it's a stupid question. So let's make the most of this experience because life is and can be good. Um, and if I could change my sexuality, would I? Why, why not? Um, I, so I entitle my coming out story, Coming Out, Standing on the Rock. Uh, and Psalm 18 was a big one for me during that time um, because I, I figured that I I describe it as having the rug kind of pulled out from under me and all of these things that I had trust and uh, support in and kind of relied upon, it just, in a moment, it was just like, none of that's there anymore. And you figure out, well, what do I have left to stand on? And I meditated on the Lord is my rock, my stronghold and my refuge. Um, and I came into a deeper relationship with Jesus during that time um, and I realised that I um, yeah, had, had a lot of kind of stability in things that I shouldn't have. Uh, and I think that being kind of part of the centre is not where Jesus is. You know, Jesus is out on the margins, having meals around the table with people that everyone else says you shouldn't be eating with. Uh, and I think uh, kind of losing a lot of things that I had faith in allowed me to see um, a lot of blind spots as well. Uh, it's the whole reason that during my studies, when I saw that uh, Indigenous theology was on offer, I was like, I definitely have to do that. Um, I know what it's like not to be listened to. I know what it's like to be overlooked. Um, and so I, in that in this whole experience, uh, I've seen that I need to listen more to others as well and I need to be humble and I've learnt so much through that as well, through my own experiences. And I just think like the grassroots community at the bottom, that's where it's at, that's where Jesus is. Um, Can I push you a little further than this one though? Do it. Because you're saying all the good things that have come from your heart, you know, but the truth is, if you like women, then you like women, and why would you want to change that? Because that's what you like. It's sort of a, <laughs> the, the, the question's just sort of dumb <laughs> um, in that also, sense. Well, there is a bit of a joke that it's like, well, I don't have to put up with straight men. Yeah. Uh, thank God exactly. for that, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's also so the case as well, I mean, Shane, There's always right. other deep meaning you're for right. it, but that's a pretty straightforward question. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think Byron's got one for us. Uh, yeah, so we've actually got six questions here that I think have a lot of overlap. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of them to give you a, a, a sense of the, the, the 
direction these questions are asking. How can we increase unity in the body? How can we work for more diverse voices in churches where, uh, and other contexts where there's no recognition that diverse voices are needed? The privileged are often the most blind to their privilege and have the most to lose from change. How do we break the white male dominance of the Australian church? But then a couple that go a bit further. How do we strive for unity as those who are being excluded? And should we? And do you see any hope for the church as an institution? Good questions, guys. So, so to summarise that, it's, yeah. it's how can we work towards greater uh, welcome and uh, uh, is it worth it? Can I answer and then leave? Is that all right? <laughs> and <laughs> I don't have really have any hope for the institutional church and that's why I'm not a part of it. So I think that's the basis for me to move on and uh, I'll leave that with the answer there. So, um, Shane, did you have a resource you wanted to recommend? Um, sure. Look, I mean, if you're interested in my writing, I'm really proud of my book, Crippled Grace. You can get that online, but um, it's academic. And um, so, look, the, 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 there's a podcast by um, not the Baptist Michael Frost, but a New Zealand Michael Frost called In the Shift. And um, he's uh, sort of an emerging sort of yeah, almost post-Pentecostal, and he, he, he addresses all these theological issues in such a beautiful, um, gracious way. So it's In the Shift by the New Zealand Michael Frost. See you all. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. Thanks, Shane. Um, I think it's, it's recognising that um, the... The model that we're aiming for isn't what the church has told it is in a lot of ways. You know, we're kind of told that um, modelling Christ is modelling someone who is male and generally often privileged with money uh, and education. And um, actually, what our reading tells us tonight is that uh, following Christ and being part of that body is different uh, and it's diverse and uh, actually we'll only ever model it by having difference and diversity uh, and so I think it's I think it's recognizing and I mean I love uh, the the passage from Joel that then comes out at Pentecost about I will pour out my spirit on all flesh um, that like the spirit comes out on all types of people everyone uh, and and that God inspires that that you know it is that's how we see the glory of God is in this diverse people so I think it's about uh, actually seeing that we'll only ever reach a point of, of flourishing and the kingdom of God when all people are there rather than when everyone follows this example does that make sense yeah, it's about like really knowing who you are, what you're bringing, and not trying to replace or kind of do the other body's job. So knowing as a non-Indigenous person of colour what you can never understand that First Nations people would go through and just actually, yeah, for me, like going through that journey and saying, well, this is what I'm bringing and I don't need to do the same thing. Um, and I, I feel like that, like I do have hope, but it's, it's on and off. 
it's not enough and um, I think that's okay. It's a slow game. Uh, I think for me, um, and one of the questions we were going to ask ourselves was that each of us have wrestled at different times with the question, um, why do I persist with the church? Uh, and I was speaking at a Christian school here in Sydney uh, and a group of year 11 um, students in their Christian studies class and um, a girl asked me, uh, what would my life be like if I wasn't a Christian? And I said to her, I actually don't even want to think about it um, because without Jesus, who is my, my hope uh, for a different Australia, for a different world, for a different church, uh, you know, that's a scary thing for me to think about as an Aboriginal uh, person. I talk about the truth-telling and the need for truth-telling and to go back to colonisation in this country and to realise that colonisation in Australia is embedded in Christianity uh, and that the system that we have in the church is based, has come out of this colonial system. And in that acknowledgement of country where I talked about stolen land, uh, one of the last places in Australian society where there is the direct transaction between the actual stolen land and who received that and still has ownership of that land is the church, is many of our churches that stand on that original transaction. Um, and so uh, the church still has that responsibility and I think uh, I would love to see the church face that responsibility because then we could have relevance in Australian society again. We could reclaim that relevance and lead to healing, not just for Aboriginal peoples, but for all peoples. Because we understand the pain. Um, and uh, some people think we keep telling the pain, but it's because uh, people have heard and listened, but haven't done any action. Uh, and, but at colonisation, uh, non-Indigenous people that were here only eight generations ago um, had suffered pain. And so our liberation is bound up in each other. And as I sit here next to Joe, and I think about people of colour all around the world, non-Indigenous people of colour, the, the Global Colonial Project has purposely not let us come together mm -hmm. yeah. um, because it destabilises the power. And so when it comes to especially white men who do have power and privilege, and you can recognise that, it's really easy. Um, you're on the speaking at a conference. You can mm. see your photo and your bio on the speaking thing. We see you on the panel or on the stage. Um, we see your stuff on social media getting shared. Uh, we see your news articles getting published. We see your books getting published. And so it comes back to that, uh, pass the microphone, pass the platform, pass the pen, <laughs> pass the keyboard, uh, and that comes at a cost to you. Uh, but think about the costs that we've all shared as well. Uh, and, but still, we need those sometimes white male voices to work within your own system to bring, to shine the light um, on the people that are in your network as well. And so, when it comes down to it, I think the body of Christ uh, and the message of Jesus, it's one of community. And if you look around your, if you're in the church and you look around your church and everyone looks like you, um, and so you have to understand what you look like as well, mm. um, then you're not reflecting the community. And when you step out and you go to the grocery store, what does your community look like? Maybe not here in Paddington, because um, <laughs> it can kind of look like a certain type of community. Uh, but, uh, you know, 3% of um, the population of these lands now called Australia is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Uh, 
We have people who have come from other cultures to these lands called Australia. That's actually 97% of the population. Uh, and so even if you identify as white Australian, where does your family come from? Um, because God placed your peoples in those lands um, as he placed my peoples in these lands. And as I said, God has seen all uh, and he still sees all. And so there is hope and healing for all of us, but it's about opening our eyes, our ears, our hearts and our minds. Um, and I think, you know, I would just love to see an end to racism uh, in this country. Uh, and to realise that racism, uh, Uncle Jack Charles, an Aboriginal actor, said, Aboriginal people suffer a peculiar type of racism. And if you don't know that, I don't know why you don't know that. Uh, and so, uh, as people of colour, we need to come together as well. And non-Indigenous white people who are part of systems have to bring us together too. Mm. Uh, and then let's not just challenge the system, but dismantle it and rebuild it like Jesus would, and challenges each of us to do each and every day. Is there one more question, Bar? Uh, churches often can't get past theological debate when it comes to LGBTIQA plus inclusion. Do you, do you see gracious, healthy inclusion happening with different theological views present? Um, I think that we can do so much more. I'm speaking from a Sydney Anglican perspective, but I think it like an evangelical kind of spread. Uh, I think we can do so much more in uh, acknowledging the equality of LGBTIQA plus Christians in churches. Uh, I think we've got to a point where we've um, gatekept love and like radical love, not just like kind of average love, like Jesus' love is radical uh, and gracious and extending. Uh, and so I think there's so much, even from a different theological perspective, that we can go in being radically loving and, and having that be changed as our default response, as like journeying with people with like radical love. Um, but I, I do think uh, I belong to a network of hundreds of queer Christians. Uh, I don't know if you've encountered that many queer Christians in your life, uh, if they're in your churches. Uh, I think that they're most likely, um, if you're from an evangelical tradition, they're probably not there out and open and flourishing. Uh, and I think that is for a reason. I think that because the, the theological position uh, is harmful. Uh, and so I think that I really want to work with people to extend them to be more um, pastoral with people, but I do think uh, there's, there's a t-shirt uh, that says bad theology kills. Um, it's pretty, pretty in your face, but it's very true uh, that at the um, centre of something, if something is not going to cause the flourishing of someone, uh, then you'll never get there. You'll be able to band-aid it and maybe probably get most of the way, uh, but I don't know that you'll ever get to someone really flourishing. Uh, and so, yeah, hopefully that answers that question. And Steph, you did call on churches to hold storytelling nights? Yeah, yeah. So a big thing about Equal Voices is just uh, being able to share a voice, being able to share stories. It doesn't have to be anything theological. Uh, we just love to share our stories. So if you're in a church that might be in a position to extend that invitation, uh, I'd love to talk to you. Mm. Uh, and did you... I did. I we brought had a resource to yep. suggest. And we'll post this in the event as well. 
So I brought a resource and the author is in the room, so you can talk to him. Uh, it's from my good friend Joel Hollier and it's his book, A Place at the Table, A Place at His Table. And it's a biblical exploration of faith, sexuality and the kingdom of God. Uh, I think so many people have already been blessed by this book. Uh, so yes, Joel Hollier, A Place at His Table. Uh, my book is Eileen Morton Robinson's The White Possessive. But I still want you all to watch SBS First Australians, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe, and Arnie Denise Champions, Yada Wandata. I actually brought the wrong book out, but this is Brooke's one, so I'll hold that up for her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's also just my chick lit that I was reading earlier today. <laughs> <But I laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was totally unhelpful. Um, <laughs> the book I wanted to bring out was Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge from the UK. So it's a little bit of a different situation, obviously, but I think we've inherited a lot of their values, as you can probably imagine. So I think she has a really, really clear message of why she's given up on having these discussions about race, but actually has tried to do it more often. And it's really helpful to self for self-reflection, I think. Uh, and she's really um, like an easy read, so would recommend. Um, I have published the Facebook event for the 30th of November to come and uh, come to Peace Talks. Uh, so that's there. Please have a look at it. Click uh, going, going, going. Yes. Going, going, going. Yes. Not interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have um, supper and tea and coffee and drinks um, outside. Um, so please uh, share with us. Uh, thank you all so much for coming uh, to be part of this conversation. Uh, a huge thank you to Joanne Shan and to Steph Fenton and to Dr. Shane Clifton. So can you please thank them? Thank you.